Hey, I'm Ruben from Dub. Welcome to Connection Loop, our actionable podcast about building businesses with daily human connections. Connection Loop features long form interviews with fascinating people in sales, marketing, and beyond. Enjoy today's episode and learn more about Dub at dub.com. And we are live. Hey guys, this is Ruben Dua from Dub's podcast, Connection Loop. And I'm going to put my phone on mute here for no interruptions. And we are going to get into a talk on automation. So I have seen my LinkedIn inbox is is jammed up. It's it's unmanageable. I, it's very difficult for me to use um, LinkedIn yep. messaging right now because my inbox is filled with mostly automated messages. And what I've seen a lot of more recently is a lot of sloppiness in them. People that are yep. having personalization tokens that are busted. Literally, some of them say "hello first name." <laughs> And, you know, overall, they're kind of just too salesy and too just go for the kill. And I'm not really building relationships like that. So yeah. I'd love to get your take um, on automation within social media and beyond. But first, please give us just a short bio. Tell us a little bit about your origin story and let's get sure. into it. So Chris Lusk, thanks for having me on, Ruben. Really yeah. appreciate it. I'm currently with a company called CodeLit. We are custom software developers. And uh, everything we do takes UX it's that everything is everything we do is centered on UX, right? So the user experience is key to us. Um, origin story: been around for about twenty years in the sales game. Um, so I've seen obviously selling before there was automation, uh, before there was social media, and uh, so yeah, this is where we're at now. I'm currently managing the partnerships um, for CodeLit, trying to find some of the big players to work with, and uh, we certainly don't use automation when you're you know when you're trying to talk to a Fortune 500 company. That's for sure. Mm. And uh, would you say that you've had some some horror stories here in the past, or have you heard like what what sort of turned you off from automation? What's what's yeah. the vibe? Is it just a conversion thing? Is it a metric thing? Well, we probably have to first clarify, you know, what what I'm talking about when it comes to automation. So first of all, there are things obviously that we do automate. Um, your menial tasks. I mean, we have Zapier and hundreds and hundreds of different you know Zap setup. Um, what I'm talking about specifically is when you're trying, you, you cannot automate connections. You can't automate, like we said before, your personality. You can't automate um, empathy. You can't automate genuineness. And I think that's the term I'm looking for is that that's very, very difficult to do. I think people can see through it fairly quickly. So when I say we don't automate it, it's really in terms of we're not automating opening doors with people and forging those relationships. And to your point, we're also not hard selling uh, through LinkedIn, through LinkedIn messaging. Um, it's just not what it's intended for. So just want to clarify that when I say we're not automating, that, that's specifically what I'm talking about. Um, and the reason why is really, like you said, there are some horror stories out there. Um, no machine is perfect. Um, and there are some workarounds and some hacks. I've seen people, and it may have been you that I saw this, people are changing their names on LinkedIn to include an icon. Right. And so you can tell immediately when you get an automated message that says, dear, you know, colon, uh, hyphen, <laughs> you know, parentheses that, uh, that, you know, someone is th that they're automating them, how, no matter how well written, you know, the copy may be. This, this is a pro tip right here. This is a pro LinkedIn tip. Yeah. If you want to figure out who's sending you automated messages, add an, an icon, an emoji uh, to your, uh, to your name. <laughs> Either yeah. in the beginning or in the end or in between. 
Because what happens is when when the automated systems use personalization tokens, it's a scrape. They go to your LinkedIn profile, they scrape your name, yeah. and then they input it into a database, and then it kind of triggers some messaging. So the systems aren't always smart enough to remove that happy face or that podcast mic or that. I think in my case, I have just a star. <laughs> yeah. And that'll be the next thing we build, right, is uh, <laughs> AI to uh, find those icons, scrape them. And that'll be the next step. And we'll say, hey, right. we figured it out. Now we can yeah. automate anything. And then you know, we'll, we'll find another workaround as human beings. But um, right. yeah, I'll, sometimes I actually notice just a, a really large blank space. So some people have figured out, OK, well, let's take out the emojis. But it's still a space. They don't yeah. remove the space. Yeah. And, and it happens a lot. Like when you have someone who has an MBA or they're a doctor and the last name is Dear Mr. Ph.D., <laughs> you obviously missed Smith in that. So I know that's automated as well. Right. Um, but really the reason that we, I mean, our approach also may be different. I, there may be times when automation, you know, depending on what you're selling, right? Depending on um, what you're trying to convey. So for us, we take a very uh, focused approach. We, we only really contact 25 people in a quarter. And so it, it's what we call our target 25. And we identify 25 companies that we want to work with. And for us, that helps us say, okay, let's take these 25 people. Now there may, or excuse me, 25 companies. Now there may be four or five or 10 contacts that we could potentially uh, talk to within each company. So we're still dealing with, you know, 200 to 300 contacts, human beings. However, to contact 300 people in a quarter is not a lot of activity, right? It allow What that allows us to do is, be focused on that person, do the research. So I can now spend an hour on two or three people and I can write something actually meaningful. Um, and so we don't really need to turn to these automation scripts or these automation bots because we're taking such a high target approach, if you will. Um, so that's also another reason why we don't, we don't use those programs. Now we do use programs for connecting with people on LinkedIn in full transparency. Um, that's, you know, for us, it's for me, at least personally, I do want to connect, obviously, with, with as many people as possible. However, there is some responsibility that comes along with that, right? I'm not just scraping a list of 10,000 people and sending connection requests. I'm still narrowing, narrowing it down based on industry, based on job title. I even narrow it down based on people who are who have been active in the past, in the last 30 days on LinkedIn. I think that's important. Because for me, of course, I'm connecting with people to eventually sell them something. But more importantly, I'm trying to connect now so I can start learning from them. So I can start seeing what their habits are. Um, what are they interested in? Is it something that I'm interested in as well? Could that be a door opener for us? So, yeah, that's just me kind of rambling a little bit about our strategy. But uh, that, that's kind of our approach to it. So this is classic, you know, account account based uh sales, account-based marketing, where you're going for high value prospects, and then you're kind of figuring out who the gatekeepers are, decision makers, um, influencers. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I think that there's there's something to be said about hyper-focus. Mm -hmm. You know, I've seen people use extremely cold outreach, and their, their conversion rates are terribly low. Email opens are in the 5%. Email clicks are in the half a percent. Yeah. And uh, it's like, well, if you just did that to 10,000 people, what would it look like if you sent a personalized uh, you know, message? Obviously, we're a video software company specifically for sales, so we're a little bit biased and we've seen amazing metrics for this. But you know, our thing is send that personalized email with, with a video 
and make it actionable. Get get someone to convert. Get someone to book a time in your calendar. I know you're a Calendly user. You know, we're all about stuff like that, that engagement, you know, watch something, read something, feel inspired, feel compelled, and then move to the next step. And, you know, imagine the people, we obviously all want to talk to the CEO, right? Well, that's may not necessarily be the case. We work with some very, very large brands at CodeLit and the CEO probably has no idea who we are, even though we're working on these massive multi-year, multi-million dollar engagements. Sometimes that person at the top is not necessarily who you need to go for. And so if you back down a couple of rungs and you really start paying attention to people who are, let's say, mid-management, people who can still make the decisions or at least champion the idea, if you get very specific with them, it means more to them, right? So these are the people that they may not get hit up near as much as their manager or their manager's manager. And so for us, if we can put a little bit of effort into finding out who that person is, reaching out to them when the time is right. And, and you'll pick up a lot of those cues if you just pay attention. Um, those are much more effective intro calls for us. We almost instantly build a champion because by the time I'm on the call with you, I've written you a, a very specific email. I've sent you a great video in the email because I respected your time. And I sent you a 30 second email or a 30 second video in the email uh, using dub obviously. But, uh, I mean, those things are powerful and, and we, and that's kind of the approach that we take is super specific because to your point with an email open rate or even a click through rate of 1% or half a percent, I would much rather take a hundred people get hyper-focused and, uh, you know, send them a message. And I'm probably going to have a much stronger relationship. And those intro calls no longer just die after the first call. I mean, you start having meaning, meaningful engagements, and, and we've seen that our intro calls now lead to more follow-up calls sooner because the timing is there, right? So hopefully we'll continue to lead to, to, to closing sooner and reducing that sell cycle. Mm. And uh, I guess the reason why it makes a lot of sense in your case is because your, your ticket size is so large. You know, it's five, six, seven digits. That makes sense because you land one deal and it makes it makes plenty of sunshine go around. Yeah. Don't tell my boss that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, uh, yeah. well, well, my question for you is, you know, what do you recommend to folks who are actually in smaller deal sizes yeah. where, uh, you know, it's in the three digits and the two, two digits per month yeah. or the four digits? Um, what's your, what's your place on that? How do, how do you recommend that people find their balance? I mean, different approach, right? You're right. For us, we're five figures to seven figures. Um, but the cell doesn't change, right? The personality still needs to be there. Now, obviously, you're not going to spend two months on someone who's going to spend $35 with you um, for the year. So obviously, your approach will have to be more of a shotgun approach, if you will, a, a net that's going to be cast a little bit larger. But it doesn't mean that you still can't have some sort of personal conversation, some personal connections with people. I think what you have to do at that point is find out how can we reduce the cell cycle uh, how can we reduce it from, let's say, three weeks to one week, right? If you reduce it from three weeks to one week, then you no longer have to call 3,000 people. You only have to call 1,000 people, right? Mm. If your numbers are, are accurate. So if the predictability is there. So what I would tell people is don't lose sight of being personable, right? Check as much as you can. There are obviously some tips that you can do by not saying, hey, Mr. First Name, hey, Mrs. Last Name you know, take those things out of your automation and make it a little bit more generic, but the message can still be meaningful, right? Instead of sending 10,000 people um, a message about a very specific topic, 
narrow that down. Maybe only 500 people care to know about what you're saying. Well, take the time up front. Instead of crafting one message for 10,000 people, craft 10 messages for 1,000 people, mm. right? Because I think we all fit into these buckets, but just get to know people a little bit better. And, and again, I know it's difficult when you're selling a smaller ticket item. If that's the case, hit the home run, try to hit the home runs early, right? And that's selling on pain points, not what you do. That's it's no one cares what you do, right? All I care about is what's the outcome. And so I would say, yeah, put your focus on trying to figure out exactly what your market needs. And then don't cast that net so large that you kept that you catch people who just don't care. Um, that that's going to hurt you more than it's going to help you, obviously. And I think you're going to fall into this trap of salespeople. Well, it's just a numbers game. It's not really, it's not, it's not really just the numbers game, right? It's in my opinion, I think it's a knowledge game and it's an empathy game. I don't know if that answered your question. Someone's out there going, duh. I scratched my head because it was a really, really great answer. And it opened up, I think, a couple of uh, topics here. I mean, you mentioned a couple of really inter interesting things here. Number one is it's this idea of, you know, thinking about larger, more niche, more focused groups. You know, this this expression to boil the ocean is yeah. something that has always stuck with me because it's impossible to do. And it's a beautiful visual, obviously. And sure. the second thing is this idea of, you know, catering to everyone and selling to no one. Like if you don't, if you don't have a niche of who you're focusing on, um, there's a problem, you know, you're, yeah. you're trying to, you're, you're trying to get everyone and that's, that's not the right method. You know, what I always say to myself is our, our target audience is not sales folks. It's not marketers or sales enablement folks. It's the 5% of those people that actually want to invest into themselves, you know, yeah. and the other 95, we've got a great, great, uh, you know, free app for them. They can use it, but we don't, we don't try to convert them because we know it's probably not going to happen. It's not worth the time, you know? Um, and then the second thing that I think was really interesting that you said is that it's not a numbers game. And I think this, this is a groundbreaking idea here. It's not a numbers game anymore. It's, I like what you said. It's a knowledge game. It's an empathy game. Could you, could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, we all try to build predictability. I mean, my job as the, the sales leader, the, the director of business development internally is to create these processes, right? Processes are, you know, when you're hiring someone, you bring them in, you can plug them in. If I get hit by a bus, you know, they can replace me easily. Kind of the problem with that is when you start going up the chain, I love my manager, I love my CEO, but they want predictability as they should, right? And, and what they look at simply in sales is, we had X number of leads, it led to X number of meetings, it led to X number of closes. And so what we then say is, in order to create one close, just go get a thousand more leads in the top of the funnel. And I love Aaron Ross and I love the predictable pipeline. I think it's brilliant and we follow it internally. However, there's just something that's intangible that's in there, right? And I think part of that intangibility is that that margin, if you will, will is where the, the good salespeople and the bad salespeople die or thrive. And so I think it comes down to who you're targeting, right? And, and then knowing yourself. We try to be very honest with people when we get on these calls. And so first and foremost, we try to play in the playgrounds that we know we're, we're good at, right? So we, we stay inside of commercial real estate. We try to stay inside of banking and finance and healthcare. But there are some fringe opportunities that, that are out there that we find attractive um, that we try to go after. And, and it's pretty obvious right from the first call if we know what we're talking about or not, right? So if you talk to someone who is just a boss in their industry, let's say commercial real estate, 
and you've never done commercial real estate building, right? You've never done any sort of technology build in that space. You may be able to talk tech with them, but you're not going to be able to understand the nuances. And so long story longer is we back up and go, what are we really, really good at? And where do we want to play? And so that's kind of the, the, the pools that we fish in, first of all, is trying to find the people that we know we can have an immediate impact. Um, and if you do that, it forces you to get very specific, very specific with your target, but then you know exactly what pain points that you can talk about. Once you know what you can talk about, you understand their pain. I mean, that's empathy. You can understand their pain and then you can give them a real solution. The part you can't fake is, do you really care about them solving a problem or do you only care if they solve the problem with you? And we try to take the approach of, we want you to solve the problem. Now, Chris has a wife and kids and they want the problem to be solved with me so I get the commission check. However, uh, in the real world, you can't fake, hey, I really want you to solve this problem. Here's the resources that we have. And the reason it's hard to do that is because you're not paid to do that, right? I mean, ultimately, it is. it comes down to where does the money end up? You can't go back to your boss and go, I helped 52 people this month. Well, did any of them buy from you? No, they didn't. Uh, but they really like me. So I think there is a fine line that you do have to walk there. Um, but again, all of that information comes out with just your research and you know, what you can what you can mine, if you will, uh, from people just by listening. Well, I think it takes guts. It takes guts to to go to someone, or I should say, to receive a, a question for some, from someone who's experiencing a pain point, saying, "This is what I'm trying to solve," and then the, that salesperson, the person on the other end, saying, "You know what? This is what I recommend," and it's actually not what we offer. It's what yeah. some other company offers. That that takes guts and. You know, I've noticed that sometimes it's it's not the right solution because you're kind of sending someone elsewhere. But on the flip side, um, what confidence does it take to do that? And what maybe empathy does it take? And sometimes it builds so much goodwill that that person says, you know what? No, no, no. It's actually you that I want to work with. So yeah, it's, well, it's, always it's a good point. I, this happened, actually happened this morning. And I'll tell you a quick story. This happened this morning. And I actually like being able to say no as a salesperson on a call. And the reason why is it opens the door for you to say yes, right? Um, I like when they start talking about their needs and, and areas that maybe we can't help, even though they may think we can. For example, this morning, the gentleman asked, we have an RFP out for a website redesign. And I'm listening going, okay, but we also have, we also need some help with uh, consulting on figuring out our tech stack. Um, we need some help figuring out um, you know, how we're going to marry these multiple programs and how we're going to de-silo data. And, and after you, after I listened to him, the first thing I did was say, here's what I heard you say, the website, we're not a good fit for. I can help you get it fixed though. We've got some great people that we work with. We would rather focus on this area over here. We want to help you focus on de-siloing the data. Now, if we can help you with any sort of consultation on the website, happy to do so. I like the opportunity to say no because then it allows me to tell you what I'm really, really good at, where I think we need to focus. And when this problem comes around, I'd love to be the one to help you do it. And I, we'll see if it works, right? I mean, but ultimately at the end of the day, I, I really mean that. I don't wanna help them with the website. There's so many There's so many other companies out there who would just kill to have that opportunity. They would blow it out of the water. We wanna do the heavy lifting elsewhere. And I think it's okay for salespeople to say, we could, but that's not really the best use of our time. And, and for us to be a partner to you, here's where I think we need to focus. And that's where you get this line between a vendor and a partner. 
I tell everyone, we don't play well as vendors. We make much better partners because we're able to say those things like no, or maybe this is the route you need to take. Mm. And I think that that's a critically important nuance of being the partner, which is long-term and more strategic and more macro, larger-minded versus a vendor mm -hmm. who's just kind of executing upon something uh, yeah. more more micro. Uh, would you say that the the brand that your your corporate brand has always kind of embodied that, or is that is that something that you guys have evolved to? It started off like that, and I think that we've just we've done a better job of telling that story. Um, Codelit was born out of a company who needed help and they needed guidance and they needed a doer. And Cody was able to come in and do that and grow it from a four person team to now 50 plus people. Um, let's be honest, we've lost business because we wouldn't play as a vendor, um, but we've gained more than we've lost when it comes to acting like a partner. So we always try to do what's right by the solution. Um, so yeah, I would say that that's been ingrained in us since day one, but we, like I said, just trying to do a better job of, you can explain it to the market, but you have to act it, right? I mean, you have to act like a partner. You can't just put it on a piece of paper. I think the word is a buzzword. I think it's overkill. Um, but for those of us that are actually doing it, it's, you know, we're proving it every day for sure. Yeah, I, I think this idea of longer, longer ROI is something that scares a lot of people. You know, and uh, sure. and I think that the words that I might associate with a longer play is, you know, brand, you know, partnership development, um, you know, creating original content. You know, those things take more time. I believe that the ROI is, is higher and bigger. You just have to yeah. wait for it. Right? Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, cold outreach or outbound, those things can happen very quickly overnight. But then mm -hmm. there's sort of some repercussions or risks on the back end. Um, what would your advice be to folks that, that want to find their balance in long-term kind of brand plays versus, um, you know, let's, let's go hit this hard today. I mean, just, just know who you are, right? I, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being a vendor at all. And there's nothing better about being a partner. It's just the, it's just how we choose to participate with our customers. Um, there are some companies who are just more set up for this transactional vendor type of relationship where you have problem, we have need, let's talk, or excuse me, we have solution, let's talk. Um, so I would say first identify where you want to live, because I think there's space for both of those and there's value in both of those. Um, understand the shortcomings of both, right? It, it's, they both have pros and they both have cons. Um, figure out where you think your business fits best. I mean, people say, well, I want to be a partner and partners, they last longer, right? And they make more money. I mean, not, not necessarily. Um, but you have to have the personnel. If you're going to be a vendor, you got to have the personnel for that. Maybe it's faster turnaround. Maybe it's cheaper workforce. Maybe it's not. If you want to be a partner, maybe it's less sales per year. Uh, maybe it's fewer clients. If it's fewer clients then all your eggs are in one basket, right? So what are you comfortable with? Um, do you want a lot of diversity in your client portfolio? Do you not? Um, for me, I kind of like the hunt, <laughs> you know, uh, and there's some people out there who like the hunt. And so you just want to grab them and bring them in. But because we may not be great account managers, but it really just depends on how your company is set up and you know what you're trying to achieve. Mm. And final question for you is, you know, this idea, the old adage of, salespeople sell stuff, even if it doesn't exist. 
And we've all we we all have been heroes for this, and we've all been guilty of this yep, yep. in our respective sales careers. Yep. <laughs> um, what is what is your take on that? Where you know you get an interest for a product that doesn't necessarily exist. Uh, someone has raised their hand; they're ready to go, yeah. and then you have to find your balance of well, you know what? I'm going to make that happen versus let's talk in six to twelve months. <laughs> I've never done that. No. Um, Man, that's a loaded question. So I would say this, if you truly believe in the people that are behind you. So look, first of all, salespeople know just enough to be dangerous. And I say dangerous with love. And I also mean just flat out dangerous, right? We It doesn't take a lot of, uh, we don't need to know a lot before we can go out there and start connecting dots. I think that's what salespeople are great at. We hear just a little bit. You just got to barely scratch the surface for a salesperson. Here a problem. We think that we have the solution over here and then they can connect those dots. Um, on selling a vision. Yeah, it, this is tough because it also depends on the people behind you. You obviously never want to promise something that you know in your heart you can't deliver. That's a scumbag, right? But I think you have to be honest with the people that you're selling to. For example, we develop custom software, stuff that's never been built before, stuff that's you know using emerging technology. So if someone asked me, hey, can we have a hollow lens of someone changing a car battery, you know, in a 2002 Honda Civic. Sure, it's doable. Do we have a case study of us doing that today? Absolutely not. No one's asked us to do it before, but we know it's there. We have faith in our team that it can be done. So I think it's a little bit different than if someone were to come to you and say, hey, I need this widget. Do you produce this widget? And you say, oh, all day long. And then you've got to go to operations and change your entire, <laughs> you know, your factory. There's <laughs> obviously a difference there. But in both of those cases, you obviously, I think having some uh, honesty with the client of it's never been done, but here's what we've done that's similar to it. And if you want to work with us, here's what it would look like, right? Mm. So I hope that answers your question and lets me you know, take a political stance there of sidestepping it. I, I like, I like, I like your philosophy. I agree with that. You know, what I think you're talking about here is providing this idea of, hey, we're a partner and we're willing to work with you. We're willing to, you know, create something that's fresh and new, but please know that it hasn't happened yet, but we are the right team. If it makes sense financially and yeah. logistically that it's, that it's fair game. So I love how you put that. Uh, where can, where can people connect with you on social LinkedIn? Uh, give me some URLs and some social handles. Find me on LinkedIn. Um, Chris Lusk on LinkedIn. Pretty easy. Um, and then you can also connect with CodeLit. We're all we're always on uh, we're on there uh, monitoring our uh, LinkedIn CodeLit page. But yeah, I think LinkedIn's probably the best way to connect with me right now. Um, yeah, I would say that. Amazing. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your time. Of course. And I will see you on LinkedIn. In fact. Yeah, I follow you. I'm always talking on your uh, your comments or always commenting on your posts. So I won't stop doing that. That's for sure. Any anything that you'd like to see from us, you know, content wise, tech wise, here's my chance to promise something that doesn't exist yet. <laughs> no, I mean, look, I, I just started with the platform and I'm a big fan. Obviously, I'm, I'm totally sold on video. Um, it, it's I love getting videos. I think it cuts to the chase. Right. It gets right to what uh, people want to know, what they want to hear. Um, I think people need to give your platform a shot because I love it. I mean, the back has been super simple to work with. And now we're going to continue to figure out how do we use it effectively, you know, going back to how do we stay focused? Um, so I think this is really going to help us as well. We have uh, 
tri-weekly trainings. So you're always oh, welcome cool. to attend those on a live basis. I'll shoot you a link for that. Uh, that's our kind of our go-to webinar. There's a link actually in your dashboard for that. And then we're always here. I mean, we love to we love to do these support sessions. We love to actually the irony about uh, about our tech and our journey and our product roadmap is that much of it has actually been built based on customer needs. Yeah. So we kind of do exactly what you say is listen. Uh, we will add that to the product roadmap, but we need to gauge the demand for it, see the viability, and then figure out if it you know financially makes sense. But we've built dozens of integrations. Mm-hmm. We've built all sorts of tech. Uh, so you know, please bring me your feedback now that we're connected. I will. And I need a banging uh, backdrop like you have. I just have like whiskey and books. I mean, look at it's like professionally designed back there. That's beautiful. You know what? It's it's two things. It's some paint. Okay. And it's and it's some light. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's this this is a trip to Home Depot and like and like a hundred bucks. Mine's a trip to the liquor store and I haven't read any of those books. I just found them at a yard sale. <laughs> well, Chris, thank you so much for the time. Yeah, thanks a lot, Ruben. I appreciate it. Cheers.